Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am your host, Craig Hanks, and with me, my guest today, Kristen Simmons. Kristen, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, good. Me too. I'm excited to have you because it's an interesting talk topic that you and I are going to be talking about. Um, I, I, I haven't decided what to title this episode yet. I'm sure that'll come to me later, but something like... Uh, uh, you know, mental health and fiction and the, yeah, the intersection between it. I, I don't know. I'll yeah. figure it all out. But yeah, you yeah. are, uh, just to give people a little bit of background on you, you are historically a mental health professional, right? You've done that work before. Do you I still have. do it now? Um, so I'm not currently practicing right now, but I um, mm. I have a degree in psychology and then a master's in social work. And then I have um, what's called an, an LC. Well, in certain states, it's called an LCSW. Sometimes it's called an LISW, but it's a it's a clinical social work um, licensure. So it it kind of um, translates into a mental health therapist, um, and it it you know you can work with all different populations. And I I spent mm. time after college working with um, everything from every group from uh, kids who had. Um, who had run away, who were living in uh, group homes, to um, people who had been charged with sex offenses, to uh, people who were survivors of domestic um, abuse. And then uh, the majority of my time, I, I spent actually working with returning um, soldiers from Iraq and Afghanistan and also veterans from um, Vietnam era in an intensive program for PTSD. <sighs> intensive being the operative word there that yeah. sounds pretty yeah. intense a lot of this stuff wow yeah. okay so let's um we're going to talk about how you got into writing but before mm -hmm. we do i want to remind everybody to go to the legendarium.com um just before we start our, our conversation i'll uh, do my housekeeping the legendarium.com that's where you can find uh past episodes grouped by author or by subject you can find future episodes that are coming up on the calendar there uh, as well as links to Discord to join the conversation and Patreon to support the show if you enjoy what we do. Okay, that's out of the way. Now, you did all of that intense, intensive stuff. Um, yeah. And you've also somehow managed to publish, I, let's see, carry the two, about 8,000 books. Yeah. I'm trying to count. Do you, what, what's your count? Do you know what you're up to? <laughs> Do you know how how many novels have you published up to this point? So um, this is actually 19. Oh my gosh, that's amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, so how did you, I assume this is, a, that writing is a lifelong pursuit and love for you. Nobody gets to 19 novels without it being, uh, I, I'll generously call it a love, right? Maybe yeah. obsession would be the better word yes. sometimes. Yes. Yeah, tell me about your, your history with writing. Yes, the um, yes, the mental health part of me definitely can agree with that. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right <laughs> on with that. Um, yeah, writing has always been uh, an important part of my life and a passion of mine. I, gosh, I think I was writing stories when I was in elementary school before I was actually, you know, able to figure out where a comma actually was supposed to go. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I've always kind of been either telling stories or writing stories, of course, telling stories and getting trouble for them growing up, but, but then writing them as soon as I was, um, was able to. And, um, and then, yeah, I wrote my first novel, uh, when I was in college and I, I think I, 
I, I think after high school, I wanted to become a full-time writer and, and just live, live the glamorous life of a full-time writer, you know? Um, but I have a very Asian mom who is very practical, <laughs> who was, who was very clear that, um, I, I should not confuse, um, a hobby with a, a profession. So mm. <laughs> I did go and get a degree, like I said, in psychology and, and work in the mental health field for a long time while I was working to get published. Um, and there were, there were five books that I wrote, complete novels that I wrote um, and tried to get published prior to being, uh, getting uh, an agent. And mm. I had almost 250 rejections from agents prior to landing my agent. So there was there was a long stretch of time that I was um, that I was working in the field and and writing, you know, on lunch breaks and before work and after work, uh, but not actually involved in publishing yet. So yeah. it, it took a long time. Two hundred and fifty rejections. Uh, that's that's a lot. I and yeah. it's probably a pretty common experience for somebody trying to get picked up who's yeah. who's doing what you're talking about. Uh, but still, it can sound pretty astounding to somebody on the outside going, you know, it, it's how should I put it? It's simultaneously depressing and also energizing, maybe to somebody who is trying to get published where it's like, hey, yeah. look, you know, 19 novels in, but it didn't start as, you know, success right away. So no. it takes time, right? No, it didn't. And I, I am happy. I am happy when people tell me that they did not have that long experience, but I, I, I feel like a great many people who have, who are in this um, field have, you know, they've spent yeah. a, lot, a lot of time trying to find an agent, a lot of time trying to connect to a publisher. Um, so I, I don't think that's uncommon at all. And, and you're absolutely right. Like it was, it was depressing for me <laughs> to go through it um, because of course, you know, you don't get 250 rejections in one day. You, they slowly trickle in over time. <laughs> so you just build a little defense up against it. And then here comes another one. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say it's a, uh, it's a uh, death by a thousand cuts. It's the, yeah, uh, your yes. ego, your ego is, your ego isn't getting, you know, beaten to death in one day, but it's getting slapped every day. Yes. <laughs> every yes. day it's getting another slap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, then you decide to have a, a profession as your mom asked mm -hmm. you to do. Right? Yes, uh, and so yes. you go into the mental health field mm -hmm. and do, was it a situation where at first you were doing, you were writing other things. It was, uh, you know, you had other stuff on your mind and then they merged or was that always a passion of yours as well? And has that always been present for you in your writing? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I say that I was writing while I was doing, um, mental health work and, um, and, and I did eventually switch over to writing full time, but, but it was never like a second choice for me. I will say I, I loved doing mental health work. Um, although I'm not currently practicing, I still maintain my license every year and keep it up because I, you know, I don't know if I, if I will ever want to jump in and go back or if that will, you know, the world will ever need somebody locally to jump in. Um, and I'd like mm. to be able to do that if that happens. Um, but yeah, I, I did love, I did love mental health work and I, and I do love the idea of, of therapists being out there for people in need and social workers being out there when people need help. And 
um, yeah, I, I it, it was something that always kind of was a dual passion for me. I loved writing stories. I loved the escape of it, but I also um, felt firmly grounded in the real world to be able to say, these are problems that I see every day and I'd like to help with them if I can. Yeah. So how does it inform your writing? And yeah. let me let me back into that question a little bit and talking about a, an experience that I had watching, uh, oh gosh, there goes the Jets. Uh, that's what I get for living under the Air Force Base. Oh, um, okay. I was going to apologize earlier for the dogs. I have, I have a oh. little dog situation here, so <laughs> I, I apologize <laughs> if they bark. <laughs> Fine by me. No, you're good. You're good. Um, okay. So an experience I had with a, uh, another podcast, actually, it has nothing to do with the Legendarium. This is uh, just in a different genre, but it was actually a, a podcast about mental health. And it was a, a fictionalized, like a serialized fiction uh, via podcast, a, a radio drama almost. Yeah. Um, and as I was listening to this, um, going through the production, I was a little bit bothered, honestly, because it, there would be this story that they're telling. It's a science fictional story that they're telling. And then it was almost like um, they had they had words and phrases and concepts that they wanted to get in there from uh, their profession. And it was like the story would come to a, a halt. And they would just go on this long discourse about this thing. One of the characters would give a lecture about some concept or another, mm. and then they'd finish up and the story would go on. And it was just, it was to my mind, awkwardly integrated mm -hmm. into the story. Mm -hmm. But the, so the reason I tell that is because uh, just to say that when you have a concern like you do, you know, mental health, when you have uh, a topic that you want to integrate, it can be tricky to do that uh, and maintain, how do I, how do I put it? To integrate it seamlessly into the story. Mm. Is that a concern of yours? Uh, do, do, do mental health concepts, do you try to weave them in seamlessly? How do you do it? Yeah. Um, how, how does this inform your writing? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question um, and a great point you bring up. And, and I think honestly, um, I mean, I try to integrate them seamlessly, uh, mental health themes into my writing because I, I think honestly, mental health themes integrate into our life so seamlessly, right? I <laughs> yeah, mean, fair we enough. don't really stop to have a depressive episode. We don't really stop to have an anxious moment. Um, this is just part of our lives. And and granted, life can feel like it stops when we feel that way, but it it, it doesn't. Um, we continue. We continue to feel. We continue to think. We continue to have, you know, our bodies continue working through all of these experiences. And um, and so do our minds. And I, I want uh, that to be reflected in my writing, I guess, uh, that that this is normal. This is this is absolutely normal. Um, yeah. People are different. Brains are different. They respond to situations differently. And, you know, that is not something that's outside of any character. That's not separate from any character, just like it's not separate or outside of us. Like we, we constantly are dealing with stressors and how we how we manage them. and and roll right along and and so do the characters in my books hopefully um hmm. you know they recognize the things that are going on and and sometimes it's it becomes a very big struggle and a focus and sometimes it is just something that they deal with and live with um just like all of us i guess um yeah yeah go ahead no it's i i like this because 
with this particular topic. You know, it's um, I, I know a gentleman who is uh, a fellow beta reader for Brandon Sanderson and, and a lovely guy who's uh, he's really great at beta reading. Um, and he was brought on for a very specific reason. It was because he was a fighter pilot and oh. Brandon wanted to do this story that involved, uh, you know, fighter pilots. And so, hey, I need somebody who knows this topic. But it's so it's so outside of most people's normal everyday uh, life, right? Their experience. So you need somebody with that really specific um, experience. Whereas, as you say, gosh, I you know, I, of of course, it's uh, incandescently obvious when you say it. But mental health is something we all deal with constantly, every yeah. single day, whether we put it in clinical terms or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you work clinical concepts in uh, kind of in an uh, in an outward facing way, or do you take the concepts uh, that you've internalized that you've learned um, and and simply work them kind of under the surface in that day to day? Everybody goes through this kind of way. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah, um, both. I mean, I, I have books where uh, you know characters are dealing with things and going to therapy, you know, and talking about them in therapy, you know, so it's, it's a very clear, deliberate, um, you know, exercise that they're going through. And then I have other characters where it's just simply described as, you know, symptoms that they have and things that they deal with and, and they're, they're managing. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of both, um, depending on the books that I have, but, but I, I would say the majority of my books, is, um, they're, they're just people, right. They're just dealing with the things that come up in life and they're, they, their brains work in different ways and they manage them in different ways. Um, I will, I will say um, there's a, there's a quote that people say that writers always write the same story <laughs> again and again in different ways. And right. I, I think that's definitely true for me. Um, I think that the time that I spent doing trauma therapy specifically definitely affected me uh, in a very deep way. And, and how can it not? Um, Right. Because you, you spend yeah. time with these people uh, who have experienced these experienced these horribly traumatic things and um, and, you know, survived them, but are dealing with these really, really awful consequences sometimes. And you get to be with them in those moments where it's it's crushing them and also see them, you know, climb out uh to a different yeah. way of life, to a to a new way of life, to adapting to um how life is while experiencing some of these things and kind of getting those symptoms to um, become more manageable over time. And that's an incredibly moving process. And it's, it's, it, it can't, like I said, it can't not affect you. And um, I was so affected by um, being with those people and being able to help them in some small way, but really just seeing their recovery um, and reintegration into the world and and I think that is a story that I tell again and again and again, not with veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan, but with um, characters who have undergone some kind of trauma, who are learning to deal with it, learning what is going to be something they can manage and what is something they're going to have to let go of and how they're going to come back to a place where they are comfortable in their lives and they're thriving again. So I, I always have characters facing insurmountable odds. I always have characters who are clinging to some small feather of hope and who are trying to get through something just awful 
um, and, and dealing with the consequences and side effects of those experiences. So in a way that has, that has really, really, um, those experiences in mental health have really, really affected my writing. Um, but I also wanted to say that I, I think the opposite is true. I feel like um, the writing really has affected my ways that I view mental health as well, because I think that writing in general, writing fiction in general is such a lens for looking at things that happen in the world and things that happen in your life. And um, we spend you know, so much time trying to process what's going on around us, news events and, and experiences and traumas and relationships. Um, and fiction really helps us do that, right? Fiction helps us process all of that. And, um, and, and so I, I think that it's, it's worked both ways. You know, the, uh, the curtain goes, opens both ways that sometimes I've pulled events from working in mental health to inform my writing, but sometimes my writing is my way of processing things I've seen in mental health as well. Yeah, there's um, a, a great story that came up on our Discord server a few years ago. Uh, I believe it was Combat Wombat. Shout out Combat Wombat. Yeah. Who was, uh, he was working as a prison guard in Oregon, I want to say. Um, and and it was his last day on the job. Uh, I, I, I apologize, Wombat, if I'm getting the, uh, the details wrong. But it was his last day on the job and he was doing his rounds and he noticed a, a, a prisoner that he'd talked to lots of times before yeah. and he was obviously having a tough time and so he goes in and he's talking to him and um w noticed uh, i think it was a patrick rothfuss book on the shelf or yeah. maybe it was a sanderson book i don't remember but they but knowing that because they both knew that story he was able to uh pull out the characters from that story that were relevant to this uh this prisoner's um state his mental state at the time and yeah. the issues he was going through and say you know look at how this character did it and, yeah uh, and they bonded over that and uh, it it can be a really beautiful thing uh to to have a story that is fictional so you're not how do i put this when you're when you're talking about true stories other people lives that were that were actually affected it can have a different valence um yeah. and make it more awkward maybe to try to relate to them because they're real yeah. whereas when you have something that's fictional uh you have that remove and you're able to kind of put yourself in in that character's shoes a little more easily perhaps yeah. i don't know is that fair i i absolutely think that's fair I, th I think that that's what we we want to do every time we read a book right we want to experience some level of transference and to be able to say like i am the hero of this story or i i i can withstand these things that this hero is dealing with i can fight my way through this too and if the hero is brave enough to fight through those battles then i can fight through my battles here too you know there's an enormous amount of connection i think between fiction and and our own ability to to face reality yeah yeah so let me ask you a different question then and and uh, change tack just a little bit do you have a favorite character that you've written in all these 19 books uh, something that really hit home for you and and did what you're talking about that uh, two-way veil uh with uh information and emotions crossing both ways is there anybody that stands out to you in any oh of your books there's so many there's so many uh of, of course i'm not i'm this. not asking for your favorite child but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you're not <laughs> we all know we have one <laughs> yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah, no, I don't I don't know that there's like a specific favorite child um that I think embodies that more than others, but I definitely feel like they all do in some way. <laughs> um I, well, let me okay, so let me ask it this way then. Yes. If somebody is coming to your works brand new, they've never yeah. read anything that you've done, which book and you know, and which character in that book maybe, but which book or series, would you say, you know what, pick this up because I'm really proud of how X turned out? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so here, here's what I'll say. I've written a book called The Glass Arrow, um, which is about a, a world where women are endangered and there's a girl that gets caught in hiding in the mountains and she gets brought in um, for uh to be in this facility to be groomed for domestic servitude, basically. And and her whole goal is to break out of this rigid, um, terrible system and return to a place of freedom. And um, I once had a woman who drove several states over to find me at a signing to tell me that she had left an abusive situation because of that book. Oh, wow. And... It, that was a moment that I will never forget um, as an author mm. and as a human and as a person who is involved in mental health and as all of the things. That was a moment that I will definitely never forget because she she felt that if this character could do that, then she could do that too. And, and that was something that I've, I, I had never even hoped would happen. Um, but I was I was very, very proud to be a part of that moment with her. Yeah, no doubt. The glass arrow. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, good. Yeah, I, w I wanted to get you on the record as like, yeah, try this book. So uh, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds really, uh, that sounds affecting for sure. I, I wouldn't be able to forget it that was, um, it was. That's a book that actually, it, it took, um, it, it really affected me to write because um, there's a lot of, um, I would say there's a lot of like personal stuff that goes that goes into I mean they are in all my books of course but like of course there's a lot of personal stuff that went into that book and um and a lot of like what it feels like to be a woman in a in a society that does not always value women and um and what that experience is was like as a child stepping into the role of, of a woman and what that feels like um mm. and yeah and and that feeling of how to break how to break free uh, of, from, from different kinds of oppression, you know, you know, and, and it strikes me as you were describing that situation, you, you were describing the plot of the book and then the woman who came to you, uh, it, it struck me that if somebody heard that description of the book, they might go, Oh, well, you know, I, that's not the way I see the world. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't see society as, uh, as, as that. And, that's fair. I mean, we all see the world in, uh, through different eyes and in different ways, but something like that can be personalized where you're describing this society that, you know, this, this grand structure, uh, it sounds very kind of handmaid's tale almost. Yeah. Um, and it's this, this societal structure that you're describing, but for an individual reading it, their personal situation may feel very much like that, whatever the societal conditions around yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so you never know when somebody's personal situation matches or, you know, mismatches with yeah. what yours is. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, it's, uh, 
I find the the personalization of fiction very uh, compelling. Absolutely. Obviously, I mean, people who have been listening to this show have been hearing me talk about the three levels for a long time. I won't bore you with that. They know it. Um, so anyway, yeah, I love the the personalization of fiction. Okay, so let's. Uh, oh gosh, I had another question. This is this is where I run into problems, Kristen, because I don't write down my questions beforehand. I like to have a conversational tone, and then something will occur to me, and then six minutes later, I'm like, "Yeah, that I'm sure it was great. I'm sure that, that was a great <laughs> Such question." A good question. You know what? I bet it was so good. <laughs> that you have no idea. Okay. So. <laughs> I bet I had a great answer to it too. So. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, no doubt. <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the newest offering though uh your latest book that's um uh, it's called find him where you left him dead yeah holy smokes what a title first of all i have to ask you because i know that uh authors oftentimes have uh Ooh. shall we say friction Ooh, very nice yeah, <laughs> if you're on youtube you get to see it right uh Authors sometimes have friction with their publishers around titling. Mm. Uh, and that's that's fine. You know, they, the, the publisher knows how to market a book, presumably, hopefully. Uh, and maybe the author has a preferred title or something. But when I read that title, I went, holy smokes, that's fantastic. Oh, Was it yours? Was that input from the publisher? How did you get that title? I would love to say it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it really, it really was a group group project. <laughs> yeah, I had um, I had several names beforehand, and we we workshopped them a lot, and they just weren't quite hitting. Um, and and then and then it was um, I I think honestly it was like we we called it find him, and then it was find him where you left him, and then someone was like find him where you left him dead <laughs> it was oh, just added on and on and on until we got to this point where we're like yeah that's what it, we want to capture that feeling right there when you say that whole line that's where we are it's pretty fantastic oh, so good. whoever I'm that was so. hat tip yeah that's great so tell us a little bit about it and i i want to uh, also weave in what we've been talking about how mm -hmm. your mental health uh, experience has informed this book but give us the bones of the story what's it about yeah, yeah. okay so here's my pitch Five kids go into a cave, but only four come out. And years later, the missing kid is back and he is haunting the remaining, the remaining friends and saying that if you go back to the cave and you finish the game we started, you might have a chance to find me alive. So. It's, yeah, nice. <laughs> So a, a bit Jumanji-esque, right? It's a bit Jumanji-esque and it is very, very steeped in Japanese mythology. So, mm. so yes, I'm, I'm Japanese and, um, and these are, this is, comes from a lot of stories that I heard growing up and stories that I've researched and, um, just a, a big love of yokai and oni, which are Japanese demons and, um, all sorts of, um, like I said, mythology, like, Izanami, the goddess of death, makes an appearance and and all mm. sorts of things. The the game that they play, the, the Jumanji-esque game that they play, um, that they started years ago and now have to continue, is set in a Japanese kind of purgatory of sorts. So it's it's um based on Japanese uh um Buddhist beliefs, um, this place called Miedo, which is which is like a Japanese purgatory slash hell slash you know afterlife okay 
So before we get to um, the the mental health side of things, I actually wanted to ask about this because yeah. I, as a, uh, shall we say, <clears throat> ignorant person, uh, well, I read this is the start of a yokai horror duology. Yeah. What is what's yokai horror? Can you uh, fill me in on that? Oh well, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> I love I love some yokai. I can tell you that much. Um, so this <laughs> this all started actually. Um, with with my son uh my son we live in cincinnati and there's not a huge asian population in cincinnati so we uh, what <laughs> yeah so we learned very i learned very early on that uh that i was gonna have to um educate him on a lot of these things that he may not be seeing every day in his life so we have a standing date on tuesdays we have since he was very little where we get together after school and we talk about um, different cultural things. We, everything from food to words to um, media, stories, folk tales um, to yokai. So we started getting into yokai a couple years ago and he just ate it up. I mean, we got an encyclopedia of yokai. We were reading it. We were, the cool thing about yokai, um, if you don't, this, if you don't know, this is, this is like a Japanese ghost slash spirit slash demon. Um, and, and yokai are, are very well documented. So while, you know, Western traditions has this idea of like a ghost will haunt you, yokai are always very specific. So there's a yokai, you know, that eats this food that haunts this public restroom that comes from, you know, this prefecture of Japan, like it's all very documented. And if you look in, in encyclopedias, either paper or online, you will find just basically thousands of yokai that people have discovered and learned about and, and documented. And they're so interesting. Some of them are benevolent. Some of them are very not benevolent. <laughs> they're very scary. I can tell you that I did all the scary ones in this book. Um, but we, <laughs> we read a lot about them. And he became obsessed. I was already into it, but then became obsessed. And I realized like, this is what I want to write about. This is the next story is people who have to face these terrible yokai. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so it's, it, this is a horror dark fantasy about, uh, you know, five kids who were playing a game that got stuck facing these terrible yokai creatures it sounds properly horrific or terrifying or whatever whatever the word is that we disturbing. want to disturbing yes yeah there you go disturbing yeah uh <laughs> you color me intrigued <laughs> good uh you know i i have seen i i can't claim to be a scholar of japanese horror movies but i've seen a few and they they know their horror. So it's really it's really disturbing, isn't it? And this is yeah. this is something that I have um have thought a lot about in writing this book and even before that. There's this there's this idea in again in Western culture that that if you there's this cause and effect relationship with with demons and the afterlife and ghosts, mm -hmm. right? So if you are bad in this life, then you will go to the bad place. If you, you know, are um, mean, then you'll come back as a ghost. Or if you're if you're bad, then you're going to be haunted by this ghost. And there's this cause and effect thing. So act right, and this won't happen to you. But right. in a lot of Eastern 
horror and a lot of Japanese horror, it doesn't really matter if you're bad or not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you do anything wrong or not. Sometimes you just have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And that that really is what I tried to embrace in this book is this was five kids that were doing pretty great in life that were just in the wrong place at the wrong time that chose to play a game very innocently that turned out very wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's we have this uh, Western idea, it, it, the, the trope of um, if you in all the horror movies, if you have sex, the, the monster is going to come get you or you uh -huh, know, the, uh -huh. the killer is going to come find you. If you, uh -huh. uh, this the stoner, the what what is it? You've got the the stoner, the jock, the uh, wh whatever you, you run down the list of basically like modern deadly sins or something uh -huh, and, uh, uh -huh. and it's like if you commit them they'll come get you yeah but there's something more terrifying about the randomness right yes it's uh so yeah that's really interesting I so tell me about <laughs> tell me about the mental health themes then that you've woven into this are there specific themes or is this uh, more of a background idea in this book yeah so i i mean this is a book kind of directly about trauma actually so like hmm. i said five kids go into a cave, great friends, um, just five regular kids pushing each other to go a little farther, pushing each other to stay out a little bit later, start playing a game, they're making up because they're having fun, and, and one doesn't come out of that cave. So you've got a very definite trauma that has happened to these four existing children that come back into the real world. Years pass and the effects of this trauma have really, really changed their lives. So, you know, I have Emerson who is the smartest girl in school and social and, you know, loves to jeopardy, do jeopardy like questions with her friends. Well mm. now complete introvert has thrown herself into a world of gaming. Um, her friends are NPCs. <laughs> you know, just has dropped out of school, spends all of her time alone, right? So her life has completely changed as a, as a reaction to trauma. I have Madeline, who was, who was the fun one, the adventurous one. Well, now she's a competitive swimmer. Her whole life is, you know, surrounding rules. Structured. And, yeah, and structure. And um, swimming is so meticulous. So it's, it's very much like everything comes down to the second. Because she knows that if she breaks the rules, bad things are going to happen. Right. So she doesn't break the rules anymore. And and you have Owen, who is the shy kid who who not only lost a best friend in Ian, but also the first love of his life. And now here mm. he is. He's he's gone the exact opposite way, too. He's acting. He's on stage. He's presenting this character of himself because that way nobody will have to look beneath the surface and see that he's really in a lot of pain. So all of these people, and there's there's rotating points of view in the story as well, all of these people have been severely affected by trauma and now have to bring these very different, um, their very different evolved selves back together in order to figure out how to survive this game and survive these challenges that are, you know, maybe likely going to kill them before dawn. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's no pressure it's about healing from trauma, about recognizing the symptoms that happen to you as a result of trauma, figuring out what baggage you can lay behind you, figuring out um, what you have to work through and let go of and what is going to stick with you no matter what. So you got to learn to deal with it.
Yeah, yeah. Is and I, I apologize. This is uh, less about the book and more just a general uh, yeah. question. In your experience, would trauma like that? I mean, you know, uh, yokai might not be the actual trauma that we go through in in life, yeah. but uh, we can have some severe trauma. Does that? tend to change people's personalities like you're talking about these 180s that all these characters are doing does it ever just amplify who you already are um you know what what does i, I don't know this is a huge question but is this what's more common in your experience the the 180 flip or a kind of doubling down on on who you already are I would say my experience and again this is going to be different for everyone so I don't want to say sure. that this is always what happens but I would say my experience most likely feels like a 180 flip because most people, whether or not they were more social and outgoing in the beginning, feel less social and outgoing as a result of, of trauma exposure. Mm, so, I mean, yeah. you know, withdrawing is, is a kind of a classic symptom of PTSD. So um, a lot of, a lot of people will experience in that and say, you know, I've, I was doing these things before I was being, I was able to go out and have, dinner with my family and, you know, be in a loud restaurant and that didn't bother me before. Now I have to be alone and I, I don't like a lot of stimuli and, and that kind yeah. of thing. So I would if say, someone, no, sorry, go on. Yeah. I was, I would say whether or not that is an accurate view of their self, um, probably most people feel like there's been a 180 switch in their personality. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Then you get to perception versus reality. Right. Ah, right. Oh boy, what a can of worms. Um, and self-perception, the trickiest of them all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, which is really what matters, right? Like, I mean, how you feel about yourself is really what matters when you're on the road to healing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone uh, is listening to this uh, description of the book mm -hmm. um, and they've gone through trauma, you know, some significant personal trauma, do you feel like uh, a book like yours is going to be, uh, to use a word du jour 10 years ago, triggering in some way or it, more cathartic? What, um, what do you hope for uh, yeah. for people who read this book? I, I hope, I hope that there's hope. Um, I mean, I hope that it is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is a source of hope for those people. I think if it's going to be triggering, it's probably going to be triggering because it's pretty brutal <laughs> I mean, right. there's there's the kind of horror where there's sort of an uncanny feeling and something's not quite right and you don't know what that is and then there's the kind of horror that sh there are monsters and they're right there on the page bleeding and yeah. you know ripping your eyes out and those are the monsters that i write about so I think <laughs> if anything's gonna be uh, triggering it's gonna be the, the very <laughs> the vivid yokai descriptions <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but um, but also I I hope that people reading it that have experienced trauma feel that inspiration that look these people are are with you these people have experienced this terrible thing and they are crawling out of it and they are clawing out of it tooth and nail and and you can too. Yeah, well there you go. You know what? That's actually I, I think a pretty good place to leave that for the moment. So. <laughs> Let's let's just hold up the book again so anybody watching on YouTube can can check it. And I will be sure to link to that in the description. It's called Find Him Where You Left Him Dead. Again, one of my favorite titles I've come across in a long time. That's oh, absolutely you. fantastic. Uh, and I will I mean, I'll be getting my copy, but I because I, I I've been trying to get into more horror stuff and yeah. this sounds right up my alley. So awesome. Uh, Thank you. Uh, 
I hope people go check it out. Uh, so Kristen Simmons, uh, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your experiences. This has been a really fun conversation. Of course. Yes, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Of course. And for the rest of you, I already mentioned the legendarium.com. Uh, but yes, go to the description uh, for this episode and I'll have links to Kristen's website, uh, the books, uh, all that stuff. So uh, that's all there. Go check it out and then hop on Discord and let me know when you've read uh, either Find Him Where You Left Him Dead or The Glass Arrow or any of her other books. Uh, let me know. I, I want to hear about it. So uh, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, I guess that's it. I'll see you all next time. <laughs>